Hey, this is Pastor Matt Zola from Fern Creek Christian Church. So glad you're able to tune in with us today. While you're on your phone, why don't you follow us on social media, at Fern Creek CC on Facebook and Instagram. We want to stay connected with you throughout your week. Our prayer is that this message encourages you to become a better follower of Jesus. So without further ado, here's the message. Some good stuff, good stuff. We talk about donuts and we sing like that, man. I tell you, you know, what I love about like a ministry, like today's ministry fair, and, and what I want to show you is like you think like the donut ministry is just out there serving you. No, what I love about our church is it's, it's not just the internal, it's how can we bless people outside our walls? So in every single thing, that's the question that drives us. So it's ministry fair Sunday, and in honor of that, I want to, I want to kind of close this sermon series down, you know, um, Summer at the Lake. I want to close it down by returning to where we started. We started with the calling of the apostles. And I want to kind of finish it by, by going back to the apostles. Now, I don't know, you know if you grew up in church or not. I was a Christer, Christmas Easter person, went to Catholic church, Catholic school. And I, my, my first recollection of the apostles were these dudes that were etched into the stained glass windows of all our local parish, right? So, so I mean, like, you know, these larger-than-life windows and these people in the windows. And I remember, like, James. Like, you know, James was one. Look at the hair on James, right? As a young man, I'm like, man, he's got great hair, right? And James was just this this giant of the faith. He's one of the first to follow Jesus. You can always recognize it's James because he's holding a staff. And that's kind of a symbol of his pilgrimage. And then you had John. John was always in the stained glass. John was always pictured as the old dude, right? Because John was the longest living of the apostles. Like, he died a natural death. So he lived to be an old man. And in John's stained glass, you can always tell it's John because there's an eagle. Do you see the eagle or the bird kind of tucked in there uh, to the left of John? There's always an eagle or a bird pictured with John because John got to see what no human could see. He got to see into heaven when he writes, you know, Revelation. And then, of course, there was always Peter. Peter was always pictured as bold and courageous, right? The, the prince of the apostles. You could always tell it's Peter because he always had the keys. Jesus said, I give you the keys of the kingdom. And what the keys were all about was he got to preach the very first sermon to the Jews, opening the church to the Jews in Acts chapter 2. And he got to preach the first sermon to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. So Peter got to unlock the door to both the Jews and the Gentiles. So, man, I, as a kid, you know, in the pew, like, you see in these larger-than-life stained-glass saints. It just was really inspiring. So I got to thinking last week, like, what if we put stained-glass windows in our church of our leaders? <laughs> I just got to thinking, you know, like... How cool would it be to walk in and there is Matthew of the keyboards, <laughs> right? St. Matthias, the one who led the people in worship to the throne room of God. There was his, you know, St. Matthias's window. And then you had Joshua of the outreach, right? <laughs> Strong and bold, St. Joshua led the church into the community of Fern Creek to let everybody know about Jesus. And there'd be a picture of Gary of the Boss Chains. 
the jovial Saint Gary who had a heart for children and would tell them the stories of Jesus. On and on it would go. Every staff would have their stained glass picture. And, uh, you know, of course, you know, I would have to have a little, a little panel in there as well. You know, not, nothing too gaudy or over the top, something like, like this, you know. <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny that that might be a picture of St. Fabio. I'm not sure if it is, but it's my church and my imagination, right? Uh, that was funny. That was so wrong, but that was so funny, right? Now, stained glass, uh, as beautiful as stained glass can be, stained glass can really blur the reality because as I sat there in my pew looking at these giants of the faith, I, I, I thought about them and I, you know, I pictured these transcendental titans of theology, these sacred sermonizers, these professional pastors. I mean, these, I mean, you had God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, then you had these guys. The, these guys were the biggest and the brightest, the most regal. They were the saints of the stained glass. But I want, I want you to know, the reality is that it was nothing like that at all. These men were common, ordinary, blue-collar people. There was, not, not, not one of them had a college degree. Not, not one of them was a rabbi. Not one of them was a priest. Not one of them had a single Instagram follower. Can you believe it? I mean, they were not connected. They, they weren't accomplished. They weren't Ivy League. They weren't in the who's who of Galilee. Who were they? Well, they were fishermen. There are a couple farmers, probably. There are a couple, of, you know, there's a tax collector, a couple of political zealots, religious zealots. They had doubts, bad tempers, they argued, and they were spiritually dense. They really were at times. Yet these would be the men that Jesus would handpick to turn the kingdom over to after three years of training. And I want to show you today what Jesus does, what he still does with common ordinary people. So we're going to come back to the disciples. Okay? So if you have your Bibles, I want you to go to Mark chapter 3 as we learn some things about what God, what Jesus can do with you, with me. Okay? Mark chapter 3, look at verse 13. Jesus went up on a mountainside and he called to him those he wanted. So see, he handpicked them. And they came to him and he appointed 12, designating them apostles that they might be with him that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Now, very, very important, turn to your neighbor and tell them how many did he handpick to be apostles? Twelve. Twelve. Now, I kind of want to do a little teaching. There's a difference between teaching and preaching. Let me teach you something right here. Have you ever wondered why twelve? Like, all right, there's twelve apostles. Like, was that a random number? Like, like. Could there have been 13? I mean, why not seven, right? Seven fit in a minivan. They could have all traveled together. Everybody had a seat belt, right? How about 10? Why, not? why did he pick 10? They could play full court. They, 10 was the minimum number you needed for a synagogue. Why not 10? How, how come he didn't take 10? Why not 70? 70 was the number of the Jewish Sanhedrin in Jerusalem, right? So, so what was it? Like, was 12 just a random number? And the answer is no. There is nothing Jesus does that's random. 
He chose 12 for a very specific reason. As a matter of fact, when Judas hangs himself, taking the number from 12 to 11, Jesus instantly is going to replace him. So, so there's not one more, there's not one less. Jesus, when he picked 12, was saying something radical. He was doing something very, very radical, and let me explain. In the Old Testament, every single Jew that was born into the kingdom of God, right, was born into one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And the 12 tribes of Israel traced themselves back to the 12 sons of Jacob. That's just how the kingdom rolled. The 12 tribes of Israel designated, this is what the kingdom of God is. This is who we are. This is how we roll. This is how we function. Now, those 12 tribes, you know, when they went into the promised land, they divvied up the promised land, and everybody got a certain section of the land. And again, you live with your tribe in that part of the land. When, when Israel has a king. When David becomes king of Israel, he unites the 12 tribes. There's still 12 tribes, but he's governing them. He unites them. And that unity is short-lived because David's son, Solomon, when he dies, there's a big rebellion, right? The 12 tribes fall apart and 10 go up into the north and two come down in the south. There's two kingdoms now at odds with one another. And in each one of these kingdoms, they're led by evil kings mostly who turn up people's hearts away from God. So in each kingdom, God has had enough after years and years and years and years of them praying to other gods and worshiping other gods and serving other gods. God finally says, I've had enough of you. And so in each kingdom will be destroyed and each tribe will be exiled and every single Jew is kind of lost. Their lineage is lost and, and they're exiled. And, and then when Jesus, this is why it's important for you to understand this, when Jesus shows up, when Jesus comes, a new day dawns, right? He talks about a new kingdom. He talks about a new Israel. He talks about a new covenant. And Jesus said, I have come to restore the kingdom. I'm here to bring the kingdom of God. A kingdom where God doesn't live in a temple, he lives in your heart. A kingdom that's not for one group of people, it's for all. A kingdom where the internals mean just as much to God as the externals. And when Jesus handpicks 12, what he's saying is, I'm replacing the 12 tribes with these 12 men. A new kingdom requires new leadership. So he's very strategic with this. And this was kind of a thumb in the eye of the current leadership of Israel. What Jesus is saying is, you, you current leaders are corrupt. You current leaders are spiritually and morally bankrupt. And I am bringing in a new kingdom, and these 12 men are going to be the leaders in this kingdom. So again, the 12 was very, very important to Jesus. It was a very radical statement. So these 12 men, fishermen, tax collectors, average common Joes, they're going to spend time with Jesus, and they're going to take the reins of the kingdom over when he dies. So they, they, they spend three years with Jesus, learning, watching, listening. I'm going to take you into about year one, after about year one. I want to show you, Jesus does something very, very strategic with the 12. Because again, he's got to teach them. They've got to see some things. They've got to learn. But there comes a moment when you've got to get out of the sidelines and get into the game. You've got to up your, your training, right? So if you have your Bibles, what I want you to do is I want you to go to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, watch what Jesus is going to do as he, as he bumps it up a notch with these 12. Luke chapter 9, verse 1. He called the 12 together, and he gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal disease. And he sent them out. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and perform healing. 
Jesus says, look, enough watching. Enough following me from, from the background. I, I am now, I'm going to now put you out onto the field. And so other gospel writers will say that Jesus sends them out two by two. He's not going with them. It means he's not going to be there so they can go, what, what, what do we do? He's not going to be able to coach them. He, they are going out on their own. They've had 12 months to watch. Now they've got some time to actually do. So it's a very important thing for you and I to, to understand what Jesus is doing here. Disciples are sent out. If you're going to follow Jesus, there comes this learning time. There comes this sit and soak time. But there comes this time to get out there and to get about the kingdom business. So followers of Jesus are sent out. The, the, the word apostle means sent out one. And I just want you to know that, again, if you're going to follow Jesus, you've you got to get in the game. You've got to be about kingdom business. Not just about your life. It's not just about your family. It's not just about your hobbies. You've you got to embrace this kingdom mindset that I'm here to serve the kingdom. Now, there's a sickness that has invaded the American church. A sickness that threatens us. It's called lazy boy-itis. Lazy boy-itis. How many of you have a lazy boy or a recliner at your house? Can I see your hands? Ah, there's nothing like a good lazy boy. Nothing like being able just to kick back, throw your legs up on a Sunday or a Saturday, and let the cares of the world melt off your shoulders. Lazy boy has just come out with the ultimate recliner called the Oasis. Listen to this. The Oasis is armed with a thermoelectric cooling frosty fridge located underneath the flip-top arm pad that holds six 12-ounce cans. Now you never have to strain yourself reaching for that cold beverage. The Oasis has a 10-motor massage and heat system that is perfect for getting loose and warming up before the big game. As for comfort, the Oasis is plush and overstuffed, offering mounds of soft seating that span 41 inches from arm to arm. Now that's a Father's Day gift right there. That makes for a great chair. That makes for a great recliner. But it's not so hot when, when that theology or that methodology seeps its way into the church. Watching from the pew, sitting and soaking, relaxing is not how we roll as a church. Maybe, maybe you have a tendency to think, well, there's so many people at the church, they actually don't really need me. I'm too old, I'm too young, I'm too busy, I'm too tired, I'm too tall, I'm too, you fill in the blank, right? I want you to know something. There are a lot of churches in town, and I love every single one of them, and I'm not judging anybody. I'm just here today to tell you, this is not a lazy boy church. This is not a place where we sit and we soak and we kick our feet up. Now, there may be a season in your life when you, you need to sit and soak. I get that, right? You may be new to our church. And I would encourage you, take your time. Sit and soak for a few months. Ask your questions. Get our theology. Check it, check it all out. You don't need to just jump right in. Maybe, maybe you need to heal from a personal issue. Maybe there's something going on in your life. And you're like, you know what? I just don't, right now, I just need to take care of me for just, just, just a, a little bit, right? That, that, that's fine. Maybe you've been through a painful event spiritually. Maybe you got hurt at another church. The last thing you need to do is just jump right in. Maybe you need to heal up from that. So what I'm saying is there may be seasons, there may be brief moments of time where you, you find yourself in a lazy boy recliner, right? But what I'm saying is it's so easy to climb into one and just stay there. 
it's so easy to say, well, there's so many. They, you know, I'm just going to prop my feet up and let the church do its thing, and, and I'll just be here to watch and to clap. Now, Jesus said to all the apostles, it's time to roll. It's time for you to be sent out. Get in the game. Look at Luke 9. Look at what he tells them. Look at verse 3. So, so he's going to send them out. Now, watch what, he, watch what he does. He says, take nothing for your journey. Don't take a staff. Don't take a bag. Don't take any bread. Don't take any money. Don't even take two tunics. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that city. And for those who do not receive you as you go out from that city, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So departing, they began going through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now, what I love about this, not, not only does he send them out, they don't get to take anything with them. I mean, they are totally depending upon his spirit. They're totally, I mean, that is a, that's pretty scary to me. No staff, no food, no money. We gotta totally rely on him for our first trip out. So, so, so what I'm sharing with you is if you're gonna be a disciple, not only is he gonna send you out, he's gonna challenge you. He's gonna challenge you. I mean, he could, they, it's their first trip, you know, go take your sand, go, go take two sandals and go take two tunics and go, here's some extra spending money. No, no, no. He's gonna challenge them, gonna really challenge them. Look at verse 10. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them, they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida, but the crowds learned about it and followed him. Uh, so all, all Jesus wants to do is to, is to do a debrief session. And, and, and they're getting into it. They're like, man, you, we saw Satan fall like lightning. And, and as hard as it was, and as challenging as it was, and then all of a sudden they're interrupted. The crowd interrupts them again, right? And Jesus spoke to them about the kingdom of God. He healed those needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside to find food and lodging because we're in a very remote place here. Now watch what Jesus does. He replied, you give them something to eat. Now stop. What had they just done? They had just done miracles. They had just driven out demons. They had performed miracles. And, and now Jesus is going to say, okay, it's all excited, it's all good, we're all happy. Now there's four or 5,000 people, and, and Jesus is going to say, all right, I want you to feed all these people. You give them something to eat. They answered, we only have five loaves of bread, we only have two fish, unless we go and buy food for all the crowd. About 5,000 men were there. Now, now J Jesus challenged them by sending them out, and you would think they would have come back going, man, we can take on anything. But Jesus, it's like the shelf life of a miracle is short-lived, Right? And they're like, oh, what's this big thing? We, Jesus, you feed, we can't feed them. And instead of focusing on what they can do, and they focus on what they don't have, right? We don't have enough money. There's too many of them. There's no place to get food. Olive Garden doesn't deliver. There's no Uber you know, eats anywhere. We're, we're in big trouble. And I'm just, I'm just showing you, when, when God asks you to do something for him, you know, doing great things for God, right? Serving God, being sent out, even though it's challenging, sometimes it can be really hard because you got people and you got things that try to pull you down. I read about an experiment they did with four monkeys. They put four monkeys into a room, true story, put a big pole in the center, put a bunch of bananas at the top. 
As soon as those monkeys were running around, all of a sudden one looked up and saw the bananas up there and went like, ooh, snack, right? So he started climbing up the pole, and right as he got to almost to the very top, as he reached out, there was a big shower head on top in the ceiling, and some guy behind the glass pushed a button, and it just drained this, this monkey with this cold, chilling shower. Yeah, and the monkey went back down, and, and uh, man, I, you know, not, not for me. Well, you know, about 20 minutes went by, another monkey was like, all right, now it's my time. So he went up there, and every time one of those monkeys went up, some dude hit a button, and a big drenching cold shower forced the monkey back down. So just, they just had, they were trying to condition the monkeys. And you know what? After, after a series of a few weeks, it worked. They stopped climbing the pole to get the bananas because they got hit with a shower. Well, what they did then is they took one of the four monkeys out replaced it with a brand new monkey who'd never been in. Well, what do you think that new monkey did? Oh, bananas. The monkey started to climb the pole when all of a sudden something amazing happened. The three monkeys tackled him off the pole and pulled him down. I don't know what they were, I don't know if monkeys can talk, but you know, I don't know if they're like, wah, wah, wah. You're gonna get, I don't know what happens, right? They're gonna get soaked. But every time that new monkey tried to climb the pole, they would tackle him and drag him back down. No, 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 nobody hitting the button to drive him. These other three pulled him down. And then they took a second old monkey out and put in a second new monkey. And the second new monkey tries to climb the pole and they all grabbed him and pulled him. At one point, all four original monkeys who'd been soaked by the water had been pulled out and none of the monkeys ever climbed that pole ever again. And what it meant, you know, when I read that, I'm like, that's so like us. So many of us want to do great things for the kingdom. God has placed his Holy Spirit inside each and every one of us. God has called us. You are a disciple. You are to be sent out. And God has equipped you for every good work that you need to do in this life. And so as so many of us, we, we start out. And we want to serve. And we want to use our gift. But somewhere along the way, something happens. And maybe you've had someone pull you down. Well, you're not gifted enough. Or you're too slow. Or you're too tall, or you're too, you know, whatever. Or, or maybe you set out to serve God, and somewhere along the way, your dream got crushed. And, and, and a situation, maybe it wasn't a person, maybe it was a situation pulled you down. And so now, we've just stopped climbing. We just hunker in the bunker, we just come into the pew, and we just sit, and we go, well, I guess I, I, guess I don't have a place. I guess I don't have a calling anymore. I guess my, you know, I thought my dream would be, we just stopped climbing. We get in the lazy boy and we kick back. I'm just here today to tell you the kingdom needs you. Man, here, for the church, our church needs you. Every single one of you. I don't care if you're in high school. I don't care if you're 98. There is a ministry. There is a calling. There is something for you to do, either inside the walls of this church or outside the walls of this church. It might be teaching or communion prep or parking lot or first impressions or landscape. If I were you, I'm joining the donut team today. That's where I'm going, right? I mean, it's time to get out of the lazy boy, and it's time to get in the game. My question for you is this. Do you have a ministry? I'm just asking. Do you, do you have a place where God has called you to to use your gifts and are you using them? And if you're not, the question is, well, then what, why? Now, yeah, maybe there's a season and maybe you've got a good explanation. And I would say, okay, fine. But just don't let that turn into months and don't let that turn into years. So Jesus sends these guys out and they go. 
It's challenging. It's hard. Watch what happens. Look at verse 14. He said to his disciples, all right, you guys aren't going to feed them. I have them sit down in groups of about 50. The disciples did that. Everybody sat down, taking the five loaves and two fish, looking up to heaven. He gave thanks, broke them, gave it to the disciples to set before the people. So like, Jesus could have just like prayed and then it could have just started raining Panera bagels, right? Or Jesus could have prayed and, and you know, fish for everybody. But, but the, he, I'm going to do the miracle, Jesus says, but you're, you're going to be part of it. You could have done this. I'm going to do it, but I'm going to make... So, so he, he, the disciples go and the disciples distribute. And they keep coming back and they keep going and they keep, God keeps pouring into them and they just keep giving back to the community, right? And again, I don't know when you picture five loaves and two fish, what you picture. You know, I don't know if you have this picture of like these big loaves of bread and big fish about that big. You know, the, the Greek really tells us that the five loaves were like, 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 they were like little four-inch pitas. Just like little, little thin. This is a poor boy's lunch. So you don't have these five big, you know, loaves of bread. No, there's like five little pitas. And the fish, the Greek here for fish, it's pickled. It's like a, like a chopped up fish sauce. It's, it's kind of like a, like, a, like a spread of some kind. So I, I'm like, this is like a Lunchable. What this kid has like a Lunchable, right? And, and, and again, and, and, and so you look at it and maybe you, you think, you know, I don't have much to offer God. I, 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 I can't sing, I, you know, I'm not good with people. I, 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 I just don't, I don't, think, I don't think God could ever really use anything that I have. And I'm just saying, stop focusing on the five loaves and the two fish. Stop focusing on what you don't have and, and, and start focusing on what God can do with what you have. Because God took this little tiny Lunchable and he fed thousands of people. That's, that's what he does. See, in the hands of God, a little stone will bring down a giant. In the hands of God, a jawbone from a donkey will slay thousands. In the hands of God, a little backwater town called Bethlehem turns into the place of the birthplace of the Savior. I'm just saying that God, God can use you. God longs to use you. God wants to use you. You just got to step up to the plate. Years ago, a simple country preacher resigned his church in failure. He said to one of his deacons, we've only had one convert this year, little Bobby Moffat. Just a boy. He's just a boy. And the deacon said, Pastor, you're right. It, it was a bad year. Just we little Bobby Moffat was the only convert. You probably need to go. So this guy resigned and, and off he went. Well, the preacher had no clue. The elders and the deacons had no clue. But little Bobby Moffat would grow up to become one of the most important missionaries this world has ever known. He, made a, he impacted th hundreds of thousands of people for the gospel. And I'm just saying, who knows? Who knows down in the fourth grade boys classroom? Maybe the next Billy Graham is in our halls. Who knows down in the nursery? Little girl crawling on the floor. Little baby girl crawling on the floor. Going to grow up to be president of this country and call us back. I'm just saying God used 12 common ordinary men to turn the world upside down. And it had nothing to do with them. They were just available. They were just open. It wasn't their wisdom. It was his. It wasn't their plan. It was his. It wasn't their power. It was his. So I'm just, today, as we wrap up this series, I'll be heading to ministry fair. There are no stained glass saints. They're just common men and women who say, send me. I'm open. God send me.
and watch what God will do with ordinary men and women. We're going to pray. We're going to head into communion after church today. We want to head, head you down to the community room where I want you to see everything that's going on in our church as you walk from booth to booth to booth. Just see what's going on. Maybe God's going to stir within your heart. Here's the place to get involved. Here's the place to serve. Let me pray for us. Well, thanks again for tuning in. I hope that message encouraged you to love, live, and lead like Jesus, to become a disciple that makes more disciples. That is why Fern Creek Christian Church exists. Hey, I want to take a second to invite you to worship with us on Sunday mornings, either online or in person. We have three services, one at 845 that we call our homecoming service. That features more hymns and southern gospel music. But then we also have two contemporary services at 10 and 1115. If you would like to give to the ministry happening here at Fern Creek, I want you to go online to our website, www.ferncreekcc.org, and click on the big giving tab you'll see on our main page. If you would like to talk more about the message you just heard, or you would like to pray with somebody, call us at 502-239-9300. Again, that's 502-239-9300. Or email us at office at ferncreekcc.org. If you're not already a member of Fern Creek, I want to encourage you to become one. Man, we want you to connect with other believers. We want Fern Creek to be your home away from home. And we just have an amazing church family that you can be a part of. If you need encouragement, inspiration, accountability, man, Fern Creek is the place for you. Check us out on a Sunday morning. You won't regret it. Thanks again for tuning in with us today. Hope you have a blessed rest of your week. Grace, peace. See you next time, church.